0: Is a house in the historic district of Idle Falls cursed with death? Tonight, I explore the many deaths that occurred in and around the death house on Elm Street. I'm Wally Fitch, and this is the Walk in Darkness Podcast. We're hunting for a book written by a demon, and you're coming with us. This is the Walk in Darkness Podcast. Hey, I'm glad you guys could make it back this week. I've got a couple of things uh, to cover before we get started tonight. First, Sutton has decided she's not interested in co-hosting the podcast anymore. Uh, She may come on from time to time, but she feels more comfortable to be working the investigation from behind the scenes. So, that's that. And second, the preacher left this on my hotline the other day. Whoa! this is the preacher do you hear the chaos you have brought this darkness upon us but the lord has put me in your path to stop you i too am seeking the book of darkness to destroy it before you can find it and destroy us all all right so we looked into this and apparently there have been some isolated incidents of anarchy Occurring in various parts of the country, mainly in the small towns in the South, there's been some mild violence, some looting, a little bit of vandalism. Police in those areas, and this is according to the news reports, they're saying that these acts seem to be random and not organized at all, and that they have everything under control. My nemesis, the preacher, however, thinks otherwise. And as usual, blames me in and my and my investigation for these acts. Uh, I don't know. For some reason, he blames me for everything evil in the world because he thinks my investigation is going to unleash some sort of darkness on us and it'll be hell on earth or some shit like that. I don't know. The thing is, though, this guy is dead serious. And I do believe that if this book exists and he finds it first, he will follow through with his threat to destroy it so it's a good thing that uh we've got a head start and Sutton and I are following every single lead no matter how small which brings us to the topic of tonight's show the deaths that occurred in the house on Elm Street now horror movies and urban legends have taught us to be scared of basements ooh creepy basements But in my experience, basements are no more haunted than any other part of the house. I mean, in other words, there isn't any more activity in the basement, or attic for that matter, than in any other part of the house. This house seems to be different. Now, Patricia mentioned the ghoulish things that happened in the basement, it was traumatic enough for her to refuse to talk about it. And I mean, she hung up on me when I kind of pressed her for it and won't talk to me since. Um, so we have that. Plus when Sutton lived there, the door to the basement was always locked, but she woke up down there on her last night in a pool of blood. And when she came back to the house after going to the hospital, the door was closed and locked. So These things, since I started getting into this investigation, they've always nagged at me, begging me to look into the house to see what kind of connection, if any, there is to all of this. Now, when bad or strange things happen in a house, we automatically think, oh, it's haunted or it's cursed But here's the thing about houses that I've learned in my many years of investigating the paranormal and the supernatural houses inherit a sort of uh personality based on the energy that it absorbs. So if a lot of bad things happen in it, it becomes filled with a lot of negative energy, which is then passed to the people who enter and live in the house. Now, I can usually read a house's personality pretty easily. I couldn't with this house. Granted, I I wasn't in it all that long, just a couple of minutes. But, um, you know, much like the Amityville house, there's something going on here, and I'm just not quite sure what it is yet. Um, Before we get into the deaths, you know, I always like to kind of take a take a trip down memory lane and kind of look into the history of the house or the the area, the property that I'm investigating. So this is what I learned. The house was built in 1920 and is located in the historic district of Idaho Falls. Now, most of the houses in the area were built around that time in the early 1900s. The streets in the area are lined with these large, beautiful trees. And it's basically, you know, really just your average neighborhood filled with middle-income families. Uh, the house itself is about 1,700 square feet. That square footage does not include the basement or the converted attic. The attic was converted in 2002 into a large, very large bedroom with an outer sitting area, which is about the size, maybe a little smaller than the bedrooms on the main floor. The basement is is semi-finished with a bedroom a half bath a utility room and a laundry room now the utility room used to double as the coal room where they used to bring the coal in for the furnace uh the main floor has three bedrooms a small galley style kitchen a living room and a full bath now at some point a dining room was added to the house off the kitchen in the back with stairs leading to the basement. The old dining room, which sat between the living room and the kitchen, was they rearranged some doorways and they just added that to the living room, making it large and actually kind of creating this weird little oddball space. But anyway, uh, as far as owners go, there haven't been a whole lot of owners to the house. Uh, One little fun fact is one of the early owners of our little death house here, was a tombstone maker who made the tombstones in the basement. But other than that creepy little fact, the house is just your average run-of-the-mill family house. Average until about 1969. 1969 was the year that a shocking number of deaths started to occur in the house. The thing is, though, it's not just the number of deaths, but the oddity of the deaths. So I did a little research from 1969 to 1979. There were at least 18 deaths in this house. Six of these deaths were connected to the family who owned the house at the time, the Harrington family. Frank and Madeline Harrington bought the house in 1961. A few years later, Madeline's sick mother, Agatha, we all know Agatha, she moved into the spare bedroom. Now, Agatha, she was the first to die in the house, possibly at the hands of a demon, if you listen to the, the demon tapes from a couple weeks ago. Now, that same demon is the one who allegedly wrote the book that we're looking for. A couple years later, a boy aged around 11 died in one of the rooms, presumably Christian's room. Um, we think it was a friend of his, but the name was never released because he was a minor. Uh, the death was however ruled accidental, but that's all we know about that. So it wasn't too long after that, the neighborhood suffered a rash of burglaries and murders. The entire town was on edge. There was so many news reports about this. And I was able to get my hands on a police report of someone breaking in to the house while Madeline was out shopping. According to the report, Madeline came home to find the side door open and there was some evidence of ransacking like someone was looking for some valuables. So this went on for a while. Things started settling down. The burglaries and the murders kind of tapered off. People started going back to normal. But one night during a thunderstorm, Frank mistook a stranded woman for someone breaking into his house and shot her right there on the front porch. Now, in this release report, Frank said that he heard voices telling him to kill the intruder. Needless to say, Frank was found guilty of second-degree manslaughter and uh, was sent to prison. That was about it. Things were kind of quiet for a couple years. But then, around 1976-1977 things started to get a little interesting. So there was a mysterious fire that nearly killed Madeline and put her in the psych ward. Most of the damage was limited to Madeline's room. There was some smoke damage throughout the house. Um, Madeline did suffer some minor burns, but for some reason that we haven't been able to determine yet, she was admitted to the hospital psych ward for evaluation. So let's fast forward a couple of weeks. It's right after Thanksgiving, early December Ariel Langford, who lived across the street and was Christian's girlfriend, found the Harrington family priest, Father Martin Hanley, dead in his car, parked in the driveway. The coroner's report ruled his death from myocardial infarction, heart attack. Not too long after that, on Christmas Eve 1977, comes the ghoulish thing that happened in the basement. Now, I don't have much on this. I tried to get police reports of the incident, but I was denied. The only thing I can go by is what was reported in the local newspaper, which basically said police were called to the house at six thirty-three PM. Multiple calls reported screams coming from the house. When police arrived, they found Ariel and her brother Robbie standing on the porch. They were both in shock and covered with blood. Both were taken to the hospital but they were released with no injuries. After searching the house, police found the bodies of Christian and Madeline in the basement, both covered in blood. The cause of death was never released, nor were any more details of what happened released to the public. So I think the only way we're going to find out what happened in that house is to a either get Madeline's sister, Patricia to open up about it or B Get a hold of Ariel and Robbie, see where they are, what's going on with them, and see if they can shed some light on what was going on. Uh, it's important to know, in case you missed any of the other shows, that Madeline's sister, Patricia, did take possession of the house in 1978. So here we are. It. It's the end of 1977. The death toll stands at six. We got Agatha, we got the little boy, we got the stranded woman on the porch that Frank killed, we've got Father Hanley, Christian, and his mother, Madeline. But we're not done. A few months later, on Easter weekend, police were once again called to the house for another horrifying scene. Now, we're still digging into this, but this is what we know. On Good Friday, calls to police reported 12 people in the backyard. Now you ready for this 12 people in the backyard laying in a crucifixion like pose. Each of them had large puncture wounds on their hands and on their feet. And if that's not weird enough, those 12 bodies disappeared from the morgue on Sunday. Yeah. Creepy, huh? Well, the house has been vacant since 1978, except for the few weeks that Sutton lived there. And this is where we have our 19th death. Sutton's unborn baby. Now, I know that there are those of you out there that don't believe her story. I've got the voicemails. I've got them. And you also don't think she was ever pregnant. I get it. The story's sort of hard to believe, but everything in this investigation is sort of hard to believe the thing is I do believe that she was pregnant I do believe and I'll get to why in a couple of minutes but first I want to see I want to explore the idea if these deaths are even connected three of the people were related we've got Agatha her daughter Madeline and Madeline's son Christian so we've got three generations Question is, were all three killed by Sarath? We know the official cause of death for Agatha was natural causes from an illness. But what about Madeline and Christian? We have no idea what's going on there. And is Patricia not telling us what happened because she's so traumatized or because she's scared? Next up, we've got Father Hanley. Now he was the Harrington family priest. We're still looking into him. But so far, we've determined that he was very close to the family and that he spent a lot of time at their house. Everything indicates he was also a respected member of the community and the church. The little boy's death. Now, I'm not sure how he figures into this just yet. Apparently, he was playing with Christian at the time of his death. But again, because he's a minor, details were never released to the public, so we have no idea how he died or what the circumstances were around that death. The woman on the porch that Frank killed. Now at first it seems random case of mistaking identity. You can see why that might've happened, but Frank mentioned the police that a voice told him to kill the intruder. Sutton also heard a voice in the house. Is this the same voice? Is it Sarath the demon? And did he tell Frank to kill the woman? And if so, why? This all brings us to the 12 deaths in the backyard. Now, we're still following some leads on this one, but it is interesting that a sort of uh, crucifixion of what appears to symbolize the 12 disciples happened on the same property that was allegedly visited by a demon. And what the hell happened to those bodies? 12 bodies just don't disappear. I haven't really been able to find out anything more about that, but we're, like I said, we're digging into it. And this brings us to Sutton's baby. On the tapes of Agatha, if you remember, she promised someone or something a baby. And for now, for the purposes of the investigation, we're operating under the assumption that it was the demon Seraph. Oh, I gave you the baby. Sutton not only woke up in a pile of blood, blood that the hospital couldn't even determine the origins of, but also with burns on her hand. Now, why Sutton? That I don't have an answer for. It's just one of those puzzle pieces that we're still trying to put together. But I do feel that these deaths are connected and that the house does play a role in all this, but I just don't have enough to connect it all yet. I just, I know there's something there, but I just can't put my finger on it. But we do have a fair amount of leads that I don't know, will hopefully help us figure all this out. And with that, I'm turning it over to you. If you see anything that I've missed, have any information, anything at all, please call my hotline, 406-640-3368. 406-640-3368. It's just a voicemail. You leave a message. You don't have to talk to anybody. We listen to all the messages that are left there, every single one. So, please, if you know anything, give us a holler. And until next week, keep your eye out on Instagram. If there's any developments on anything, we'll let you guys know. Follow A Walk in Darkness. That's where we'll keep you updated during the week in between the shows. And with that, Wally Pitch out. This podcast and its characters are part of a Walk in Darkness experience produced by Boozhound Entertainment. Any likeliness to actual persons, living or dead, is a coincidence. Please support this show by leaving a review, subscribing, and sharing. Be sure to follow A Walk in Darkness on Instagram and Twitter for more of the experience. Thank you for listening and for your support.